Section 7 of Lives of the Saints with Reflections for Every Day of the Year by Reverend Alban Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. March 16th, Saints Abraham and Mary. Abraham was a rich nobleman of Edessa. At his parents' desire he married, but escaped to a cell near the city as soon as the feast was over. He walled up the cell door, leaving only a small window, through which he received his food. There for fifty years he sang God's praises and implored mercy for himself and for all men. The wealth which fell to him on his parents' death he gave to the poor. As many sought him for advice and consolation, the bishop of Edessa, in spite of his humility, ordained him priest. St. Abraham was sent soon after his ordination to an idolatrous city which had hitherto been deaf to every messenger. He was insulted, beaten, and three times banished, but he returned each time with fresh zeal. For three years he pleaded with God for those souls, and in the end prevailed. Every citizen came to him for baptism. After providing for their spiritual needs, he went back to his cell, more than ever convinced of the power of prayer. His brother died, leaving an only daughter, Mary, to the saint's care. He placed her in a cell near his own, and devoted himself to training her in perfection. After twenty years of innocence, she fell, and fled in despair to a distant city, where she drowned the voice of conscience and sin. The saint and his friend, St. Ephraim, prayed earnestly for her during two years. Then he went disguised to seek the lost sheep, and had the joy of bringing her back to the desert a true penitent. She received the gift of miracles, and her countenance, after death, shone as the sun. St. Abraham died five years before her, about 360. All Adisa came for his last blessing and to secure his relics. Reflection Oh, that we realize the omnipotence of prayer. Every soul is created to glorify God eternally, and it is in the power of every one to add by the salvation of his neighbor to the glory of God. Let us make good use of this talent of prayer, lest our brother's blood be required of us at the last. March 17th, St. Patrick, Bishop, Apostle of Ireland. If the virtue of children reflects an honor on their parents, much more justly is the name of St. Patrick rendered illustrious by the innumerable lights of sanctity with which the Church of Ireland shone during many ages, and by the colonies of saints with which it peopled many foreign countries. For under God, its inhabitants derived from their glorious apostle the streams of that eminent sanctity by which they were long conspicuous to the whole world. St. Patrick was born towards the close of the 4th century, in the village called Bonaventurbernier, which seems to be the town of Kilpatrick, on the mouth of the river Clyde, in Scotland, between Dumbarton and Glasgow. He calls himself both a Briton and a Roman, or of a mixed extraction, and says his father was of a good family named Calphurnius, and a denizen of a neighboring city of the Romans, who not long after abandoned Britain in 409. Some writers call his mother Conchessa, and say she was niece to St. Martin of Tours. In his sixteenth year he was carried into captivity by certain barbarians, who took him into Ireland, where he was obliged to keep cattle on the mountains, and in the forests, in hunger and nakedness, amidst snow, rain, and ice. Whilst he lived in this suffering condition, God had pity on his soul, and quickened him to a sense of his duty by the impulse of a strong interior grace. The young man had recourse to him, with his whole heart, in fervent prayer and fasting, and from that time faith and the love of God acquired continually new strength in his tender soul. 
After six months spent in slavery under the same master, St. Patrick was admonished by God in a dream to return to his own country, and informed that a ship was then ready to sail thither. He went at once to the sea-coast, though at a great distance, and found the vessel, but could not obtain his passage, probably for want of money. The saint returned towards his hut, praying as he went, but the sailors, though pagans, called him back and took him on board. After three days' sail they made land, but wandered twenty-seven days through deserts, and were a long while distressed for want of provisions, finding nothing to eat. Patrick had often spoken to the company on the infinite power of God. They therefore asked him why he did not pray for relief. Animated by a strong faith, he assured them that if they would address themselves with their whole hearts to the true God, he would hear and succor them. They did so, and on the same day met with a herd of swine. From that time provisions never failed them, till on the twenty-seventh day they came into a country that was cultivated and inhabited. Some years afterwards he was again led captive, but recovered his liberty after two months. When he was at home with his parents, God manifested to him, by diverse visions, that he destined him to the great work of the conversion of Ireland. The writers of his life say that after his second captivity he travelled into Gaul and Italy, and saw St. Martin, St. Germanus, Avoxier, and Pope Celestine, and that he received his mission and the apostolical benediction from this pope, who died in 432. It is certain that he spent many years in preparing himself for his sacred calling. Great opposition was made against his episcopal consecration and mission, both by his own relatives and by the clergy. These made him great offers in order to detain him among them, and endeavored to affright him by exaggerating the dangers to which he exposed himself amidst the enemies of the Romans and the Britons, who did not know God. All these temptations threw the saint into great perplexities, but the Lord, whose will he consulted by earnest prayer, supported him, and he persevered in his resolution. He forsook his family, sold his birthright and dignity, to serve strangers, and consecrated his soul to God, to carry his name to the ends of the earth. In this disposition he passed into Ireland, to preach the gospel, where the worship of idols still generally reigned. He devoted himself entirely to the salvation of these barbarians. He traveled over the whole island, penetrating into the remotest corners, and such was the fruit of his preachings and sufferings that he baptized an infinite number of people. He ordained everywhere clergymen, induced women to live in holy widowhood and continence, consecrated virgins to God, and instituted monks. He took nothing from the many thousands whom he baptized, and often gave back the little presents which some laid on the altar, choosing rather to mortify the fervent than to scandalize the weak or the infidels. He gave freely of his own, however, both the pagans and Christians, distributed large alms to the poor in the provinces where he passed, made presents to the kings, judging that necessary for the progress of the gospel, and maintained and educated many children, whom he trained up to serve at the altar. The happy success of his labors cost him many persecutions. A certain prince named Korodic, a Christian in name only, disturbed the peace of his flock. This tyrant, having made a descent into Ireland, plundered the country where St. Patrick had been just conferring confirmation on a great number of neophytes who were yet in their white garments after baptism. Korotic massacred many, and carried away others whom he sold to the infidel Picts, or Scots. The next day the saint sent the barbarian a letter, entreating him to restore the Christian captives and at least part of the booty he had taken, that the poor people might not perish for want, but was only answered by railleries. The saint, therefore, wrote with his own hand a letter. 
in it he styles himself a sinner and an ignorant man he declares nevertheless that he is established bishop of ireland and pronounces carotic and the other parasites and accomplices separated from him and from jesus christ whose place he holds forbidding any to eat with them or to receive their alms till they should have satisfied god by the tears of sincere penance and restored the servants of jesus christ to their liberty this letter expresses his most tender love for his flock and his grief for those who had been slain yet mingled with joy because they reigned with the prophets apostles and martyrs jocelyn assures us that carotic was overtaken by the divine vengeance st patrick held several councils to settle the discipline of the church which he had planted st bernard and the tradition of the country testify that st patrick fixed his metropolitan see at armagh he established some other bishops as appears by his council and other monuments he not only converted the whole country by his preaching and wonderful miracles but also cultivated this vineyard with so fruitful a benediction and increase from heaven as to render ireland a most flourishing garden in the church of god and a country of saints many particulars are related of the labors of st patrick which we pass on in the first year of his mission he attempted to preach christ in the general assembly of the kings and states of all ireland held yearly at tara the residence of the chief king styled the monarch of the whole island and the principal seat of the druids or priests and their paganish rites the son of neil the chief monarch declared himself against the preacher however patrick converted several and on his road to that place the father of st benignus his immediate successor in the see of armagh he afterward converted and baptized the kings of dublin and munster and the seven sons of the king of connaught with the greatest part of their subjects and before his death almost the whole island he founded a monastery at armagh another called domnach padraig or patrick's church also a third named sapa padraig and filled the country with churches and schools of piety and learning the reputation of which for the three succeeding centuries drew many foreigners into ireland he died and was buried at down in ulster his body was found there in a church of his name in eleven eighty five and translated to another part of the same church ireland is the nursery whence st patrick sent forth his missionaries and teachers glastonbury and lindensfarne ripon and malmesbury bear testimony to the labors of irish priests and bishops for the conversion of england iona is to this day the most venerated spot in scotland columban gaul and many others evangelized the rough places of france and switzerland america and australia in modern times owe their christianity to the faith and zeal of the sons and daughters of st patrick reflection by the instrumentality of st patrick the faith is now as fresh in ireland even in this cold nineteenth century as when it was first planted ask him to obtain for you the special grace of his children to prefer the loss of every earthly good to the least compromise in matters of faith march eighteenth st cyril of jerusalem cyril was born at or near the city of jerusalem about the year three fifteen he was ordained priest by st maximus who gave him the important charge of instructing and in preparing the candidates for baptism this charge he held for several years and we still have one series of his instructions given in the year three forty seven or three forty eight they are of singular interest as being the earliest record of the systematic teaching of the church on the creed and sacraments and as having been given in the church built by constantine on mount calvary they are solid simple profound saturated with holy scripture exact precise and terse 
and, as a witness and exposition of the Catholic faith, invaluable. On the death of St. Maximus, Cyril was chosen Bishop of Jerusalem. At the beginning of his episcopate, a cross was seen in the air reaching from Mount Calvary to Mount Olivet, and so bright that it shone at noonday. St. Cyril gave an account of it to the emperor, and the faithful regarded it as a presage of victory over the Arian heretics. While Cyril was bishop, the apostate Julian resolved to falsify the words of our Lord by rebuilding the temple at Jerusalem. He employed the power and resources of a Roman emperor. The Jews thronged enthusiastically to him and gave munificently, but Cyril was unmoved. The word of God abides, he said. One stone shall not be laid on another. When the attempt was made, a heathen writer tells us that horrible flames came forth from the earth, rendering the place inaccessible to the scorched and scared workmen. The attempt was made again and again, and then abandoned in despair. Soon after, the emperor perished miserably in a war against the Persians, and the church had rest. Like the other great bishops of his time, Cyril was persecuted and driven once and again from his see, but on the death of the Arian emperor Valens, he returned to Jerusalem. He was present at the Second General Council at Constantinople, and died in peace in 386, after a troubled episcopate of thirty-five years. Reflection As a stout staff, says St. John Chrysostom, supports the trembling limbs of a feeble old man, so does faith sustain our facilitating mind, lest it be tossed about by sinful hesitation and perplexity. March 19th, St. Joseph, spouse of the Blessed Virgin and patron of the Universal Church. St. Joseph was by birth of the royal family of David, but was living in humble obscurity as a carpenter when God raised him to the highest sanctity and fitted him to be the spouse of his virgin mother and foster father and guardian of the incarnate word. Joseph, says the Holy Scripture, was a just man. He was innocent and pure, as became the husband of Mary. He was gentle and tender, as one worthy to be named the father of Jesus. He was prudent and a lover of silence, as became the master of the holy house. Above all, he was faithful and obedient to divine calls. His conversation was with angels rather than with men. When he learned that Mary bore within her womb the Lord of heaven, he feared to take her as his wife. But an angel bade him fear not, and all doubts vanished. When Herod saw the life of the divine infant, an angel told Joseph in a dream to fly with the child and his mother into Egypt. Joseph at once arose and obeyed. This sudden and unexpected flight must have exposed Joseph to many inconveniences and sufferings. In so long a journey with a little babe and a tender virgin, the greater part of the way being through deserts and among strangers, yet he alleges no excuses nor inquiries at what time they were to return. St. Chrysostom observes that God treats thus all his servants, sending them frequent trials to clear their hearts from the rust of self-love, but intermixing seasons of consolation. Joseph, says he, is anxious on seeing the virgin with child. An angel removes that fear. He rejoices at the child's birth, but a great fear succeeds. The furious king seeks to destroy the child, and the holy city is in an uproar to take away his life. This is followed by another joy, the adoration of the magi. A new sorrow then arises. He is ordered to fly into a foreign unknown country without help or acquaintance. It is the opinion of the fathers that upon their entering Egypt, at the presence of the child Jesus, all the oracles of that superstitious country were struck dumb, and the statues of their gods trembled and in many places fell to the ground. 
the fathers also attribute to this holy visit the spiritual benediction poured on that country which made it for many ages most fruitful in saints after the death of king herod of which saint joseph was informed in another vision god ordered him to return with the child and his mother into the land of israel which our saint readily obeyed but when he arrived in judea hearing that Archelaus had succeeded herod in that part of the country and apprehensive that he might be infected with his father's vices he feared on that account to settle there as he would otherwise probably have done for the education of the child and therefore being directed by god in another vision into the dominions of herod and Tipus in galilee to his former habitation in nazareth st joseph being a strict observer of the mosaic law in conformity to its direction annually repaired to jerusalem to celebrate the passover our saviour now in the twelfth year of his age accompanied his parents thither having performed the usual ceremonies of the feast they were returning with many of their neighbours and acquaintances towards galilee and never doubting but that jesus was with some of the company they travelled on for a whole day's journey before they discovered that he was not with them but when night came on and they could hear no tidings of him among their kindred and acquaintance they in the deepest affliction returned with the utmost speed to jerusalem after an anxious search of three days they found him in the temple discoursing with the learned doctors of the law and asking them such questions as raised the admiration of all that heard him and made them astonished at the ripeness of his understanding nor were his parents less surprised on this occasion when his mother told him with what grief and earnestness they had sought him and asked son why hast thou thus dealt with us behold thy father and i sought thee in great affliction of mind she received for answer how is it that you sought me did you not know that i must be about my father's business but though thus staying in the temple unknown to his parents in all other things he was obedient to them returning with them to nazareth and there living in all dutiful subjection to them as no further mention is made of saint joseph he must have died before the marriage of cana and the beginning of our divine saviour's ministry we cannot doubt that he had the happiness of jesus and mary attending at his death praying by him assisting and comforting him in his last moments whence he is particularly invoked for the great grace of a happy death and the spiritual presence of jesus in that hour reflection st joseph the shadow of the eternal father upon earth the protector of jesus in his home at nazareth and the lover of all children for the sake of the holy child should be the chosen guardian and pattern of every true christian family march twentieth st rolfron archbishop his father was an officer in the armies of king dagobert and the saint spent some years in the court of king clotaire the third and of his mother st bathilda's but occupied his heart only on god despising worldly greatness as empty and dangerous and daily advancing in virtue his estate of morally he bestowed on the abbey of fontenelle or st vandril in normandy he was chosen and consecrated archbishop of Sens in 682 which diocese he governed two years and a half with great zeal and sanctity a tender compassion for the blindness of the idolaters of friesland and the example of the english zealous preachers in those parts moved him to resign his bishopric with proper advice and after a retreat at fontenelle to enter friesland in quality of a poor missionary priest he baptized great multitudes among them a son of king radbold and drew the people from the barbarous custom of sacrificing men to idols on a certain occasion one ovon 
having been selected as a victim of a sacrifice to the heathen gods st rolfin earnestly begged his life of king radbold but the people ran tumultuously to the palace it would not suffer what they called a sacrilege after many words they consented but on condition that rolfin's god should save ovon's life the saint betook himself to prayer the man after hanging on the gibbet two hours and being left for dead fell to the ground by the breaking of the cord being found alive he was given to the saint and became a monk and priest at fontenelle Rolfran also miraculously rescued two children from being drowned in honor of the idols radbod who had been an eye-witness to this last miracle promised to become a christian but as he was going to step into the baptismal font he asked where the great number of his ancestors and nobles were in the next world the saint replied that hell is the portion of all who die guilty of idolatry at which the prince refused to be baptized saying he would go with the greater number this tyrant sent afterwards to st willibrode to treat with him about his conversion but before the rival of the saint was found dead st rolfran retired to fontenelle that he might prepare himself for death and expire there on the twentieth of april seven twenty reflection in every age the catholic church is a missionary church she has received the world for her inheritance and in our own days many missioners have watered with their blood the lands in which they labored help the propagation of the faith by alms and above all by prayer you will quicken your own faith and gain a part in the merits of the glorious apostolate march twenty first st benedict abbot st benedict blessed by grace and in name was born of a noble italian family about four eighty when a boy he was sent to rome and there placed in the public schools scarred by the licentiousness of the roman youth he fled to the desert mountains of subiaco and was directed by the holy spirit into a cave deep craggy and almost inaccessible he lived there for three years unknown to any one save the holy monk romanus who clothed him with a monastic habit and brought him food but the fame of his sanctity soon gathered disciples round him the rigor of his rule however drew on him the hatred of some of the monks and one of them mixed poison with the abbot's drink but when the saint made the sign of the cross on the poison bowl it broke and fell in pieces to the ground after he had built twelve monasteries at subiaco he removed to monte cassino where he founded an abbey in which he wrote his rule and lived until death by prayer he did all things wrought miracles saw visions and prophesied a peasant whose boy had just died ran in anguish to saint benedict crying out give me back my son the monks joined the poor man in his entreaties but the saint replied such miracles are not for us to work but for the blessed apostles why will you lay upon me a burden which my weakness cannot bear moved at length by compassion he knelt down and prostrating himself upon the body of a child prayed earnestly then rising he cried out behold not o lord my sins but the faith of this man who desireth the life of his son and restore to the body that soul which thou hast taken away hardly had he spoken when the child's body began to tremble and taking it by the hand he restored it alive to its father six days before his death he ordered his grave to be opened and fell ill of a fever on the sixth day he requested to be born into the chapel and having received the body and blood of christ with hands uplifted and leaning on one of his disciples he calmly expired in prayer on the twenty first of march five forty three reflection the saints never feared to undertake any work however arduous for god 
because distressing self they relied for assistance and support wholly upon prayer march twenty second st catherine of sweden virgin st catherine was daughter of ulfo prince of Nuresia in sweden and of st bridget the love of god seemed almost to prevent in her the use of her reason at seven years of age she was placed in the nunnery at Riesberg, and educated in piety under the care of the holy abbess of that house being very beautiful she was by her father contracted in marriage to egard a young nobleman of great virtue but the virgin persuaded him to join with her in making a mutual vow of perpetual chastity by her discourses he became desirous only of heavenly graces and to draw them down upon his soul more abundantly he readily acquiesced in the proposal the happy couple having but one heart and one desire by a holy emulation excited each other to prayer mortification and works of charity after the death of her father st catherine out of devotion to the passion of christ and to the relics of the martyrs accompanied her mother in her pilgrimages and practices of devotion and penance after her mother's death at rome in thirteen seventy three catherine returned to sweden and died abbess of vatsdena or vatsen on the twenty fourth of march in thirteen eighty one for the last twenty-five years of her life she every day purified her soul by a sacramental confession of her sins reflection whoever has to dwell in the world stands in need of great prudence the holy scripture itself assures us that the knowledge of the holy is prudence march twenty-third saints victorian and others martyrs Uneric, the arian king of the vandals in africa succeeded his father genseric in four seventy seven he behaved himself at first with moderation toward the catholics but in four eighty he began a grievous persecution of the clergy and holy virgins which in four eighty four became general and vast numbers of catholics were put to death victorian one of the principal lords of the kingdom had been made governor of carthage with the roman title of proconsul he was the wealthiest subject of the king who placed great confidence in him and he had ever behaved with an inviolable fidelity the king after he had published his cruel edicts sent a message to the proconsul promising if he would conform to his religion to heap on him the greatest wealth and the highest honors which it was in the power of a prince to bestow the proconsul who had missed the glittering pomps of the world perfectly understood its emptiness made this generous answer tell the king that i trust in christ his majesty may condemn me to any torments but i should never consent to renounce the catholic church in which i have been baptized even if there were no life after this i would never be ungrateful and perfidious to god who has granted me the happiness of knowing him and bestowed on me his most precious graces the tyrant became furious at this answer nor can the tortures be imagined which he caused the saint to endure victorian suffered them with joy and amidst them finished his glorious martyrdom the roman martyology joins with him on this day four others who were crowned in the same persecution two brothers who were apprehended for the faith had promised each other if possible to die together and they begged of god as a favor that they might both suffer the same torments the persecutors hung them in the air with great weights at their feet one of them under the excess of pain begged to be taken down for a little ease his brother fearing that this might move him to deny his faith cried out from the rack god forbid dear brother that you should ask such a thing is this what we promised to jesus christ the other was so wonderfully encouraged that he cried out no no i ask not to be released 
increase my tortures exert all your cruelties till they are exhausted upon me they were then burned with red-hot plates of iron and tormented so long that the executioners at last left them saying everybody follows their example no one now embraces our religion this they said chiefly because notwithstanding these brothers had been so long so grievously tormented there were no scars or bruises to be seen upon them two merchants of carthage who both bore the name of frumentius suffered martyrdom about the same time among many glorious confessors at that time one liberatus an eminent physician was sent into banishment with his wife he only grieved to see his infant children torn from him his wife checked his tears by these words think no more of them jesus christ himself will have care of them and protect their souls whilst in prison she was told that her husband had conformed accordingly when she met him at the bar before the judge she upbraided him in open court for having basely abandoned god but discovered by his answer that a cheat had been put upon her to deceive her into her ruin twelve young children when dragged away by the persecutors held their companions by the knees till they were torn away by violence they were most cruelly beaten and scourged every day for a long time yet by god's grace every one of them persevered in the faith to the end of the persecution march twenty fourth st simon infant martyr hail flowers of the martyrs the church sings in her office of the holy innocents who were the first to die for christ and in every age mere children and infants have gloriously confessed his name in fourteen seventy two the jews in the city of trent determined to vent their hate against the crucified by slaying a christian child at the coming passover and tobias one of their number was, was deputed to entrap a victim he found a bright smiling boy named simon playing outside his home with no one guarding him tobias patted the little fellow's cheek and coaxed him to take his hand the boy who was not two years old did so but he began to call and cry for his mother when he found himself being led from home then Tobias gave him a bright coin to look at, and with many kind caresses silenced his grief and conducted him securely to his house. At midnight on Holy Thursday the work of butchery began. Having gagged his mouth, they held his arms in the form of a cross, while they pierced his tender body with awls and bodkins, and blasphemous mockery of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. After an hour's torture the little martyr lifted his eyes to heaven and gave up his innocent soul. The Jews cast his body into the river, but their crime was discovered and punished, while the holy relics were enshrined in St. Peter's Church at Trent, where they have worked many miracles. William of Norwich is another of these children martyrs. His parents were simple country folk, but his mother was taught by a vision to expect a saint in her son. As a boy he fasted thrice a week, and prayed constantly, and he was only an apprentice twelve years of age, at a tanner's in Norwich, when he won his crown. A little before Easter, 1137, he was enticed into a Jew's house, and was there gagged, bound, and crucified in hatred of Christ. Five years passed before the body was found, when it was buried as a saintly relic in the cathedral courtyard. A rose planted hard by flowered miraculously in midwinter, and many sick persons were healed at his shrine. Footnote. It must not be thought that these singular and extraordinary instances established a charge that the slaying of Christian children is part of the Jewish ritual. This accusation against the Jews has been proved to be false. Reflection. Learn from the infant martyrs that, however weak you may be, you still can suffer for Christ's sake. March 25th, 
the annunciation of the blessed virgin mary this great festival takes its name from the happy tidings brought by the angel gabriel to the blessed virgin concerning the incarnation of the son of god it commemorates the most important embassy that was ever known an embassy sent by the king of kings performed by one of the chief princes of his heavenly court directed not to the great ones of this earth but to a poor unknown virgin who being endowed with the most angelic purity of soul and body being withal perfectly humble and devoted to god was greater in his eyes than the mightiest monarch in the world when the son of god became man he could have taken upon him our nature without the cooperation of any creature but he was pleased to be born of a woman and the choice of her whom he raised to this most sublime of all dignities he pitched upon the one who by the riches of his grace and virtues was of all others the most holy and the most perfect the design of this embassy of the archangel is to give a saviour to the world a victim of propitiation to the sinner a model to the just a son to this virgin remaining still a virgin and a new nature to the son of god the nature of man capable of suffering pain and anguish in order to satisfy god's justice for our transgressions when the angel appeared to mary and addressed her the blessed virgin was troubled not at the angel's appearance says st ambrose for heavenly visions and a commerce with the blessed spirits have been familiar to her but what alarmed her he says was the angel's appearing in human form in the shape of a young man what might add to her fright on the occasion was his addressing her in words of praise mary guarded by her modesty is in confusion at expressions of this sort and dreads the least appearance of deluding flattery such high commendations make her cautious how she answers till in silence she is more fully considered of the matter she revolved in her mind says st luke what manner of salutation this should be ah what numbers of innocent souls have been corrupted for want of using the like precautions the angel to calm her says fear not mary for thou hast found favour before god he then informs her that she is to conceive and bring forth a son whose name shall be jesus who shall be great and the son of the most high and possessed of the throne of god her illustrious ancestor mary out of a just concern to know how she may comply with the will of god without prejudice to her valid virginity inquires how shall this be nor does she give her consent till the heavenly messenger acquaints her that it is to be the work of the holy ghost who in making her fruitful will not entrench in the least upon her virginal purity in submission therefore to god's will without any further inquiries she expresses her assent in these humble but powerful words behold the handmaid of the lord be it done to me according to thy word what faith and confidence does her answer express what profound humility and perfect obedience reflection from the example of the blessed virgin in this mystery how ardent a love ought we to conceive of purity and humility the holy ghost is invited by purity to dwell in souls but is chased away by the filth of the contrary vice humility is the foundation of a spiritual life by it mary was prepared for the extraordinary graces and all virtues with which she was enriched and for the eminent dignity of mother of god March 26th, St. Luger, Bishop. St. Luger was born in Friesland about the year 743. His father, a nobleman of the first rank, at the child's own request, committed him very young to the care of St. Gregory, the disciple of St. Boniface, and his successors in the government of the see of Utrecht. Gregory educated him in his monastery and gave him the clerical tonsure. 
Ludger, desirous of further improvement, passed over into England and spent four years and a half under Alcuin, who was rector of a famous school at York. In 773 he returned home, and St. Gregory dying in 776, his successor, Alberic, compelled our saint to receive the holy order of priesthood, and employed him for several years in preaching the word of God in Friesland, where he converted great numbers, founded several monasteries, and built many churches. The pagan Saxons ravaging the country, Ludger traveled to Rome to consult Pope Adrian II, what course to take, and what he thought God required of him. He then retired for three years and a half to Monte Cassino, where he wore the habit of the order, and conformed to the practice of the rule during his stay, but made no religious vows. In 787, Charlemagne overcame the Saxons and conquered Friesland, and the coast of the Germanic Ocean as far as Denmark. Ludger, hearing this, returned into East Friesland, where he converted the Saxons to the faith, as he also did the province of Westphalia. He founded the monastery of Werben, twenty-nine miles from Cologne. In 802, Hildebald, Archbishop of Cologne, not regarding his strenuous resistance, ordained him Bishop of Munster. He joined in his diocese five cantons of Friesland, which he had converted, and also founded the monastery of Helmstad in the Duchy of Brunswick. Being accused to the Emperor Charlemagne of wasting his income and neglecting the embellishment of churches, this prince ordered him to appear at court. The morning after his arrival, the Emperor's Chamberlain brought him word that his attendance was required. The saint, being then at his prayers, told the officer that he would follow him as soon as he had finished them. He was sent for three, several times, before he was ready, which the courtiers represented as a contempt of his majesty, and the emperor, with some emotion, asked him why he had made him wait so long, though he had sent for him so often. The bishop answered that though he had the most profound respect for his majesty, yet God was infinitely above him, that whilst we are occupied with him, it is our duty to forget everything else. This answer made such an impression on the emperor that he dismissed him with honor and disgraced his accusers. St. Ludger was favored with the gift of miracles and prophecy. His last sickness, though violent, did not hinder him from continuing his functions to the very last day of his life, which was Passion Sunday, on which day he preached very early in the morning, said Mass towards nine, and preached again before night, foretelling to those that were about him that he should die the following night, and fixing upon a place in his monastery of Worden, where he chose to be interred. He died accordingly on the 26th of March, at midnight. Reflection Prayer is an action so sublime and supernatural that the Church in her canonical hours teaches us to begin it by a fervent petition of grace to reform it well. What an insolence and mockery is it to join with this petition an open disrespect and a neglect of all necessary precautions against distractions. We ought never to appear before God, to tender Him our homages or supplications, without trembling and without being deaf to all creatures, and shutting all our senses to every object that can distract our minds from God. March 27th, St. John of Egypt Till he was twenty-five, John worked as a carpenter with his father. Then feeling a call from God, he left the world and committed himself to a holy solitary in the desert. His master tried his spirit by many unreasonable commands, bidding him roll the hard rocks, ten dead trees, and the like. John obeyed in all things with the simplicity of a child. After a careful training of sixteen years, he withdrew to the top of a steep cliff to think only of God and his soul. The more he knew of himself, the more he distrusted himself. 
For the last fifty years, therefore, he never saw women and seldom men. The result of this vigilance and purity was threefold, a holy joy and cheerfulness which consoled all who conversed with him, perfect obedience to superiors, and, in return for this, authority over creatures whom he had forsaken for the Creator. St. Augustine tells us of his appearing in a vision to a holy woman, whose sight he had restored, to avoid seeing her face to face. Devils assailed him continually, but John never ceased his prayer. From his long communings with God, he turned to men with gifts of healing and prophecy. Twice each week he spoke through a window with those who came to him, blessing oil for their sick and predicting things to come. A deacon came to him in disguise, and he reverently kissed his hand. To the emperor Theodosius he foretold his future victories and the time of his death. The three last days of his life John gave wholly to God. On the third he was found on his knees as if in prayer, but his soul was with the blessed. He died in 394. Reflection The saints examine themselves by the perfections of God and do penance. We judge our conduct by the standard of other men and rest satisfied with it. Yet it is by the divine holiness alone that we shall be judged when we die. March 28th, St. Gontran, King St. Gontran was the son of King Clotaire and grandson of Clovis I and St. Clotildus. Being the second son, whilst his brother Charbert reigned at Paris and Sigebert in Austrasia, residing at Metz, he was crowned King of Orleans and Burgundy in 561, making Chalons his capital. When compelled to take up arms against his ambitious brothers and the Lombards, he made no other use of his victories under the conduct of a brave general called Mamon than to give peace to his dominions. The crimes in which the barbarous manners of his nation involved him he effaced by tears of repentance. The prosperity of his reign, both in peace and war, condemns those who think that human policy cannot be modeled by the maxims of the gospel whereas nothing can render government more flourishing. He always treated the pastors of the church with respect and veneration. He was the protector of the oppressed and the tender parent of his subjects. He gave the greatest attention to the care of the sick. He fasted, prayed, wept, and offered himself to God night and day, as a victim ready to be sacrificed on the altar of his justice, to avert his indignation, which he believed he himself had provoked, and drawn down upon his innocent people. He was a severe punisher of crimes in his officers and others, and, by many wholesome regulations, restrained the barbarous licentiousness of his troops. But no man was more ready to forgive offenses against his own person. With royal magnificence he built and endowed many churches and monasteries. This good king died on the 23rd of March in 593, in the 68th year of his age, having reigned 31 years and some months. Reflection there is no means of salvation more reliable than the practice of mercy, since our Lord has said it, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall find mercy. March 29th, St. Jonas, Brachiseus, and their companions, Martyrs King Sapor of Persia, in the eighteenth year of his reign, raised a bloody persecution against the Christians, and laid waste their churches and monasteries. Jonas and Brachiseus, two brothers of the city Bethasia, hearing that several Christians lay under sentence of death, at Ubaham, went thither to encourage and serve them. Nine of that number received the crown of martyrdom. After their execution, Jonas and Barachesius were apprehended for having exhorted them to die. The president treated the two brothers to obey the king of Persia, 
and to worship the sun, moon, fire, and water. Their answer was that it was more reasonable to obey the immortal king of heaven and earth than a mortal prince. Jonas was beaten with knotty clubs and with rods, and next set in a frozen pond with a cord tied to his foot. Baratisius had two red-hot iron plates and two red-hot hammers applied under each arm, and melted lead dropped into his nostrils and eyes, after which he was carried to prison and there hung up by one foot. Despite these cruel tortures, the two brothers remained steadfast in the faith. New and more horrible torments were then devised under which at last they yielded up their lives, while their pure souls winged their flight to heaven, there to gain the martyr's crown which they had so faithfully won. Reflection those powerful motives which supported the martyrs under the sharpest torments ought to inspire us with patience, resignation, and holy joy under sickness and all crosses or trials. Nothing is more heroic in the practice of Christian virtue, nothing more precious in the sight of God, than the sacrifice of patience, submission, constant fidelity, and charity in a state of suffering. March 30th, St. John Climacus john made while still young such progress in learning that he was called the scholastic at the age of sixteen he turned from the brilliant future which lay before him and retired to mount sinai where he put himself under the direction of a holy monk never was novice more fervent more unrelaxing in his efforts for self-mastery after four years he took the vows and an aged abbot foretold that he would some day be one of the greatest lights of the church nineteen years later on the death of his director he withdrew into a deeper solitude, where he studied the lives and writings of the saints, and was raised to an unusual height of contemplation. The fame of his holiness and practical wisdom drew crowds around him for advice and consolation. For his greater profit, he visited the solitudes of Egypt. At the age of seventy-five, he was chosen abbot of Mount Sinai, and there he dwelt in the Mount of God, and drew from the rich treasure of his heart priceless riches of doctrine, which he poured forth with wondrous abundance and benediction. He was induced by a brother abbot to write the rules of which he had guided his life, and his book, called The Climax, or Ladder of Perfection, has been prized in all ages for its wisdom, its clearness, and its unction. At the end of four years he would no longer endure the honors and distractions of his office, and retired to his solitude, where he died in 605. Reflection. Cast not from thee, my brother, says the imitation of Christ the sure hope of attaining to the spiritual life, still hast thou the time and the means. March 31st, St. Benjamin, Deacon, Martyr Isdegerdes, son of Saper III, put a stop to the cruel persecutions against the Christians in Persia, which had begun by Saper II, and the church had enjoyed twelve years' peace in that kingdom, when in 420 it was disturbed by the indiscreet zeal of Abdos, a Christian bishop who burned down the Purium, or temper of fire, the great divinity of the Persians. King Isdegerdes thereupon demolished all the Christian churches in Persia, put to death Abdas, and raised a general persecution against the church, which continued forty years with great fury. Isdegerdes died the year following in 421, but his son and successor, Veranes, carried on the persecution with greater inhumanity. The very recital of the cruelties he exercised on the Christians strikes us with horror. Among the glorious champions of Christ was St. Benjamin, a deacon. The tyrant caused him to be beaten and imprisoned. He had lain a year in the dungeon, when an ambassador from the emperor obtained his release, on condition that he should never speak to any of the courtiers about religion. The ambassador passed his word in his behalf that he would not, 
but benjamin who was a minister of the gospel declared that he should miss no opportunity of announcing christ the king being informed that he still preached the faith in his kingdom ordered him to be apprehended caused reeds to be run in between the nails and the flesh both of his hands and feet and to be thrust into the other most tender parts and drawn out again and this to be frequently repeated with violence lastly a knotty stake was thrust into his bowels to rend and tear them in which torment he expired in the year 424 reflection we entreat you o most holy martyrs who cheerfully suffered most cruel torments for god our saviour and his love on which account you are now most intimately and familiarly united to him that you pray to the lord for us miserable sinners covered with filth that he infuse into us the grace of christ that it may enlighten our souls that we may love him end of section seven recording by maria therese